Is indie hacking truly dead or is this just another conspiracy theory? Well, I went to the source, Channing Allen, co-founder of Indie Hackers, will help me today debunk this myth. We explore the challenges of maintaining a still very vibrant indie hacker community where members both compete and collaborate simultaneously. We get into strategies of monetizing such a community, how maximalism and minimalism impact how the indie hacker founders navigate business decisions, and we explore how constraints inspire creative problem solving. You learn a lot from someone who's been at the center of the indie entrepreneur world for many, many years. Just like our sponsor today, Acquire.com. More on that later. Now here is Channing. Welcome to the show. A few weeks ago, I talked to Peter Levels on this show too, and he proclaimed that indie hacking is dead. Now you're the co-founder of IndieHackers.com, a great community that I think is very much alive still, right? So what's going on with indie hacking? What was the, the Mark Twain quote? The um, uh, rumors of my death have been greatly exaggerated. <laughs> um, no, I look, I, 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 I'm, I love that because it's, it's just, it's the rumor mill. The rumor mill just gets people talking. Um, Peter Levels showed up in my, um, in my replies on Twitter and was like, Hey, you know, we're, we're getting good at this UFC style, like pretending to fight just to get people talking. Um, and it, it's great. It, what I think that, um, I, I still have yet to listen to the episode. Shame on me. Um, but, yeah, I think that the idea is that indie hackers started the indie hackers community started as this tight community of not that many people. And when you have a small community, it's a lot easier to kind of manage the constraints of how the community defines itself, right? It's easier to, to police the norms and make sure that you don't have a lot of bullshit. Um, and, you know, like th th things that might seem scammy or fake or inauthentic. And my read of, of his point, of Peter's point, was it's grown so big, right? The tent has become so big that now you have a lot of people who are on the edges and just say, you know, it's, it's very easy to show up, say, on Twitter and say, hey, here's how I, you know, I'm 17 years old and, and here's how I've grown this business without any code or any effort to $20,000 a month, right, just to get eyeballs, um, and so some of the some of the the tactics to grow and some of the the elements about uh, of the community that sometimes might be considered unsavory, you get enough people in the tent and you can't really control, yeah, you know what the what the community is like. But I think it's a good problem to have, right? The, like the, the community has gotten so big and so so many people are, are are calling themselves indie hackers that you know we can't orchestrate, you know, and, and curate exactly who uses the label and what they say. I mean, it's just a natural process. Does that create any problems for you, like organizing and maintaining the community, the forums, I guess, of IndieHackers.com? No, I mean, look, uh, the forum on IndieHackers.com since day one is you, you just have, it's a, it's a uh, I wish I had a good analogy of any feed on the internet from the first day of the internet until I'm sure the last day of the internet, unless the AI bots control uh, control control spam is, you know, it's damage control. Like if anyone can show up, like it's it's gonna, you know, if the, if it's unfettered, if it's uncurated, it's gonna either be a ghost town or it's gonna be a bit of a cesspool. And so, um, what what we do is is 
We have algorithms that make sure that things that the community votes on or the things that typically get seen, there's a lot of stuff that's unsavory beneath the surface. We have human moderators um, and still things slip through, right? Still people game the system because everyone in this community is, I think that the, the good thing about the indie hacker community is also the bad thing. The good thing and the bad thing are that the people that are are involved in this tend to be extremely high in initiative. They seem to be, they tend to be extremely intelligent and interesting, but they're also kind of go-getters, right? (laughs) And I don't know who the boxer was, but I think some, some professional athlete says that if if you're not cheating, you're not trying. (laughs) And so you you got, you got a lot of really clever people who try to like, you know, get voting rings and, and get stuff to the top. So you just, you manage it as, as, as well as you can. I always found this so interesting about the indie hacker community, both the forums and the wider community, that it's both extremely aligned. People all have the same goal. They all want to have a really good lifestyle business. They want to make it and then they want to live off that and have the life they always wanted. And they're all competing with each other on some yep. level. <laughs> what attention is that? That's so cool. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and the, it's funny that you mentioned Peter Levels because he and Danny Postma both superficially we're competing for the mantle of who's got the you know like the, you know right they were kind of like the, some of the really early ai face recognition and ai like photo creation um founders and so again ostensibly they were in competition with each other but then they really cleverly played up the idea of that competition and then what happened right the tide rose both boats rose with it right yeah. um Especially when you're when you're small enough, there's not really you know what who there, there's no there's never been and there never will be an indie hacker monopoly on anything right, and so there are a lot of opportunities to work together. Yeah, it's called a collaboration has always been a big part of the community, and I I kind of like that, and I somewhat bemoan that too because it feels like people are getting hesitant to to collaborate too much because there are a lot of copycats and there are a lot of clones in that community too, right? The more you share. The more you open this attack surface, but also the more you share, the more you build a reputation and the more you get like distribution. It seems to be a, a balance to strike all the time. Yeah, all the look, I say this all the time to people privately. I, I try not to say this too much publicly because everyone is at a different phase. But every problem that you have as an indie hacker, except for the problem of getting started is a problem that comes with growing pains, right? Like if you get to the point where you're really afraid of a copycat, you've graduated to that point, right? right. Like someone who has an idea, right? Um, You're you're an ideapreneur. You don't have to worry about copycats, right? Um, And like, you know, even with one of the community movement, you know, elements of our, of of the indie hacker culture that is sort of beyond our culture, which is the build in public community, Building in public even has its own physics, which I think a lot of people are beginning to speak about, which is, look, what's the benefit of building in public, right? Well, you get eyeballs, you get attention. Even if you don't have a lot of capital and other resources, that's cool. People get to see you. You need to be transparent. But then there's a certain point that I think, you know, Corey Zhu and a a few other people, maybe even Peter Levels, actually not Peter Levels is one of the few exceptions, but a lot of people talk about how Justin Jackson um, of Transistor talk about how and the, there's a, a sort of an early phase where building in public, sharing everything is a really good idea. And then there comes a point and it's not well defined. You kind of get the feeling. Maybe you'll see the copycats. Maybe you'll see your competition speaking about you. 
where it makes a little bit more sense to dial back how transparent you're being. And that's just a growing phase, right? It's a dynamic thing. There's no good answer to whether or not, for example, building in public is good, or even take your example, collaborating is good. You just say, where am I at right now? What are my challenges now? What are the, what are the tools that I'm going to reach for that make sense now until they don't make sense anymore? That, that, that makes perfect sense. It's, that's always kind of a stage of your journey, right? For which certain tools have certain effects. And I think that the tough part is that advice as it comes in, you know, from the community, from people who share their advice comes either from a different stage than you're in, or it's in the same stage, but it's a different field with different dynamics. It's really hard to contextualize, right? Advice to begin with, which makes a community that is getting more diverse and, and growing like the indie hacker community is that I also think is not that at all, right? It's, it's getting bigger and bigger and people are trying it out. That makes, makes it harder to figure out which people should I even listen to or which people yeah. are, are trying to cheat me because they want to make money of me with their course and which of those courses are actually helpful. Like it, it becomes a, a minefield and trust is eroded as well, right? There's a, like, you just stated that really beautifully, the, the difficulty, which is, I mean, effectively, you're getting advice, you're getting advice from people who share your situation. But I think it gets even, I think it gets even more complex than that, because I think you'll have people who superficially are the same, same industry, same stage, right? Um, selling to the same market. And the, say the founders themselves will just have different dispositions, right? You'll have an introvert and you'll have an extrovert. You'll have someone who knows how to build and someone who doesn't really feel like comfortable building things, right? And so I think that, I think that there, I, th I think a lot about this actually, because, um, I've, I'm fortunate enough to have like tried to perform in enough different domains. So I was like a really competitive basketball player growing up. Um, I really am into video games. I try to put those aside because I'm too, I get too addicted to them. Um, here with, uh, with, with, uh, business and entrepreneurship. I've, and in another life, I'm trying to write a novel and I do a lot of thinking about story theory. And one of the things that you notice if you see how people try to like operate in these different fields is that if you have a field that has kind of clearly defined metrics for what right looks like, mm -hmm. then it becomes a lot easier to say, oh, okay, you know, you're um, trying to become a martial artist. Here, you're a white belt. To get to from a white belt to the yellow belt or whatever, you need to do this, these types of things. And then when you get to this stage, you do that. You do same thing with things like chess, right? They're sort of like, here's what you learn at first. Here's what you learn learn after that. But then when you have something that's open-ended, anything artistic, anything business-oriented, there's just this open field. And in a sense, you're the one who defines what up, what direction up is, right? And so I think that a, a general principle that I've seen that, that, that seems to work when you're in sort of an open-ended field like this is to look at advice through two possible lenses and to choose the best one. So the, the two lenses are advice is a yellow brick road, right? People are telling me what the, you know, what the path should be, right? And it, wait, is it this yellow brick road or that yellow brick road? This person says you should be a minimalist. That person says you should not do any coding, right? That's doesn't work for, for something like this. I think that what works for this is instead of yellow bricks, they're all Lego bricks. All advice is Lego bricks, right? If someone says, here's what I do, then look at them and be like, okay, well, you know, his castle is built out of these seven Legos. Let me see if there's one that I can plug into my, 
you know, sort of operations and see if it works. Oh, it doesn't work. Okay, cool. No problem. Pop it out, you know, like pick another one up, pick one up from there. But you, you have to be someone who is, you've got your, your, your ear to the ground. You have to learn from other people because you don't know everything, but you have to be very like provisional. You have to be very like experimental and, you know, always take things with a certain grain of salt and with a certain like playful attitude, if that makes sense. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, it sounds like you need a lot of context, both for what you have going on, like where does it fit for me, and what they have going on. Why and where does it fit for them? Right. <laughs> that's exactly. that's often often neglected in people giving advice. They they kind of they isolate the advice from the context in which either they they came up with it or they understand it or even from where they look at it now, and that that makes it unusable in many ways. In general, when I see. And I see this all the time um, when I see communities like real, like face to face, like you and me right now, right? As opposed to Twitter or whatever. Um, if I see a situation where you have multiple different entrepreneurs and they're sharing their issues, a really good sign of that conver of the conversation that's taking place is when one entrepreneur says, "Hey, I've got this problem." When the other person Even if they, if they, maybe they, let's suppose that they identify the problem. They're like, oh, I had that problem. I did, you know, X, Y, and Z. And I, you know, it was, it was easy. Instead of jumping in and saying, here's what you should do. Here's what I did. Or saying anything that's a, a statement or an assertion. They constrain themselves to first asking a question. Like some like, okay, you're having a problem. Say, you know, what is it that you're trying to achieve? Um, why is that the problem? You know, what happens if you just let that problem be? Well, you know, will that be some, you know, will that be a failure mode for your higher level goals? And very often it's what you just mentioned. We're all coming from different places. This is a situation where very frequently you'll be like, ah, I thought I had the solution, but you know, that was because, you know, that solution was a ladder that was leaning against a wall that I was climbing, but they're trying to climb an entirely different wall. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, I think, I think being a lot more patient. And in a sense, inhibiting that impulse, right, to, to make a decision for people is makes for much healthier, more useful conversations. <laughs> and relationships. Honestly, and relationships, I, I, yeah. I learned this, like how to communicate well and how to communicate kind of, I wouldn't even call it defensively, but like cautiously like without pushing and just, just allowing the other person to pull. That that has helped been helping me in my personal relationship in life yeah. beyond business, right? Just romantic or all other kinds. It's it's really useful to be a good listener. That 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 is generally good advice, right? Yeah. Don't need to contextualize that much. Like listening and taking in, mirroring back, and and giving people the opportunity to find themselves in what you heard. Uh, that tends to create a better opportunities and better results than other things. It's funny because that exact thing is lacking so much in such a both context and size reduced kind of communication such as Twitter. Mm -hmm. right? Twitter is like, used to be one, 180 characters or 140, now it's 280. That's and, and long threads or whatever, but people still try to condense as much as they can into as short a tweet because they rank better, they perform better, yep. right? You have that stuff that loses all context and it loses all just opportunity for reflection as well. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, it's 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 really unfortunate. It's one of the reasons why I don't follow anyone on Twitter. <laughs> like, I don't like Twitter. Um, I don't like what it does to my brain. I 
am active on Twitter, especially these days. I mean, probably more over the last four or five weeks because that just is the place in, in our media company flywheel for, for indie hackers where like that's the, the best decision for the business. But um, yeah, no, I, it's, it's a, it's, hmm, I wrestle with questions like these, right? Because look, there's a trade-off. I think that the quality of conversation, the quality of information, when it's bite-sized, fast, and immediately delivered into your nervous system is much lower. At the same time, you have to balance that out with the fact that there are people who in a previous era of only long-form communication just were inaccessible, right? I mean, there I've got a, a shelf full of books behind me and there are five of those humans that I've DM'd, I have DM messages or I've gotten replies from them. I've, I've like entered into conversations again, bite-sized, you know, like 180 character kind of conversations. Um, but it's, it's just, you know, one of those weird trade-offs of technology. That's, that's an interesting point. Accessibility has a cost and that cost is some kind of reduction, right? Reduction of, of intensity. I was thinking a lot about this because you mentioned Corey Zhu earlier and he today, mm -hmm. which is a couple weeks uh, in the past for people listening at this point, uh, talked a lot about authenticity and being mm -hmm. online, right? Being on Twitter, being authentic and what that means in a world of, you know, just to out, outcry and polarization and the attention economy. That was the, the conversation that he wanted to instigate and did on Hacker News of all places. That was an interesting interesting place to read the comments um he's number uh, 16 on hacker news as we speak yeah he was number one for a long while yeah, and that 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 funny enough is exactly the attention economy <laughs> in which this conversation takes place there's a lot yeah. of a lot of meta layering happening here and i was thinking about this too because like with um a, a sizable audience that that i personally have and that i mm -hmm. see a lot of founders looking for they want to build that audience for reach for distribution for sharing what they have what they sell what they know right with that comes a lot of parasocial relationships, I guess mm -hmm. like hours before we actually got to talk, yeah. right? both on this show and on your podcast uh, back in the day, a couple of years ago at this point. And it, it reminded me of Dunbar's number and how this mm. is a concept that is so intrinsically linked to the human psychology. Like yeah. you cannot deal with more than 120 or some meaningfully deep relationships. How can we even be authentic beyond that? Do you have any, do you look at this like for your own community that you're building? Do you have any kind of way that you push people to, towards more authentic behavior or how do you hmm. deal with that? I have a, I have like a, let's say, you know, society wide thought on this. And then I have a, an indie hacker specific way that I think about it. And there, there's like a fractal self similarity to them. So that it's just, you know, the big and the small, but the same thing, which is, that I think when you have, and this is all throughout the, the history of like economic history, the history of innovation, what you do is, is over time and with things like Twitter, you just have much bigger, you know, sort of, uh, uh, uh tools for connectivity. It's, you know, communication is easier. Communication is faster. You can reach more people, but you do it in a more superficial way. And you can actually turn those lemons into lemonade if you are extremely highly intentional. Mm -hmm. And it just so happens that a, I think a kind of a fraction of the overall population is really highly intentional, right? I mean, if you have Facebook and Facebook is addictive, most people are, are, are kind of going to sit in the seat and 
take what's given to them. And they're like, okay, well, this is how I use this. What's the, the I guess that would be the, the uh, Apple versus Windows ecosystem or like the iPhone versus the, the Android ecosystem. Um, so I think that you you can you can turn these you can turn this this really negative situation basically just not having good superficial having only superficial relationships you can turn it into a good thing if you're doing what what we do um, and you're doing what there are a lot of uh, there are a lot of indie hackers who I've reached out to I have them in my DMs and then we try our best to get in touch with each other and like un- unfortunately or fortunately like these are more or like you know sort of I have better relationships with them. I connect with them better than I connect with a lot of people that are just naturally organically around me. Yeah. Right. So I've taken the situation and because I was highly intentional and they were highly intentional, we've turned it into something really good. I think Sahil Lavingia from Gumroad just moved kind of close to me. So I get to go hang out with him, which is awesome. <laughs> but if you aren't intentional, then you don't get that benefit. You just, yeah. you're, you're kind of like caught up in this maelstrom. Um, and so with, with indie hackers, you know, I think that the group self-selects for high initiative. Um, and we have some, we have a couple lines of revenue, the meal, uh, the, the ads for the media company. We've got some like, I think I saw you, you bought one of the little cheap profile, uh, like a, yeah. a, a profile page, but another one is, is we're doing meetups. We're doing masterminds and we're trying to tap into exactly what, what you're talking about, like getting high resolution uh, relationships as opposed to kind of the low resolution comment sections, drive-by shooting types of relationships that you can only have with like an online community. Intentionality. I, I, I love your focus on this. Like it's a, it's a great way for people to self-select into a thing and to also kind of self-select out of it if it's not aligned with what they have. I kind of see it as a, as a vector, right? You, you have a point where you are and you have like a directionality to it and, and yep. also probably an intensity to, to the vector, like a length. And then let's just do some math. But, you know, like the, there are other people who have similarly uh, in, like angled vectors and, and the closer you align, you do some vector multiplication and you right. still have yeah. this, you know, this, this uh, alignment between them. And, and I think that that is one of the things that is a solution um, or at least uh, an attempt that we should be taking um, in terms of authenticity in a very scalable virtual world is just to to accept that it can only scale along the aligned vectors that we have with each other like we cannot be the person for everybody we can be the right. person for the people that are just have affinity for us in the way we are and i think you're doing this in a in a really cool way in the community i i also like the idea that it's turned into a community powered media company hmm. that to me as somebody who is also trying to build a media company mm-hmm. not as much community powered but community centric there right. is a lot of alignment there as well it's it's nice that you that you have found a phrase for this that that is something that i really really like about what indie hackers is now because i think before before the whole thing when you repurchased the company from Stripe, mm-hmm. which is something that's probably also interesting to talk about, although sure. you have talked about this at length on your, <laughs> your own podcast there, um, that to me was the day where you shifted gears mm-hmm. and you went into how can we determine who we are precisely and where our alignment is going to be in the future. How much of an intentional process was that? And are you done with it? <laughs> no. We're, first off, well, to number one, it was it was very intentional, and everything is intentional that we do. That doesn't mean that it's uh, successful, 
right? <laughs> um, sure. We 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 try to design a lot of outcomes, just like you know genetic mutations. Most of those fail. Some of them succeed, and and then we get to celebrate the wins. But mm-hmm. um, yeah, look, uh, there is a new direction that we took when we became independent. This community powered media company direction, um, but again, with that point that I made before about like self-similarity and things being kind of fractal, everything that we do, we run through a heuristic because it's just me and my brother, right? And we have a few really talented uh, contractors. Um, in fact, the the person who does our newsletter, who's our editor of our newsletter, is probably more talented than we are. She's written two books. She's a, you know, a journalist for the New York Times. Um, but we're still significantly like under-resourced to manage the kinds of communications and informational volume that goes through the the indie hackers ecosystem right so look for i mean we're seven years old i think for six years every decision we make about features we ask ourselves okay like what do we want to do and can we do that in a way that we where we crowdsource the content from the community itself eventually in the beginning we were text-based interviews with founders well you can crowdsource that right you can create a questionnaire that's templatized and you can send it to a lot of people. You can have very minimal um, overhead on that. We have product pages, right? And so this is quite easily the most valuable asset that we have in the entire, in all of Indie Hackers. I think it's something like 42,000 founders have created products. They share often share their revenue that's like stripe verified they give a bunch of updates um and they have a lot of data in there we're just we're choosing not to monetize it right now because we don't have to and it it is useful to the community but we had that switch to flip on we don't touch it right we we look at it every month and oh now there's 41.5 you know thousand people who have these who have these things uh the form itself is is crowdsourced so and I could go on. We have a, a bit of a, a leader. Uh, we used to have a we have a, rem- a job board, crowdsourced, right? Two sided marketplace. Uh, we have a meetups widget. Uh, I don't mean to belabor the point, but eventually going okay. Well, media is the thing that is really useful for a lot of our now business outcomes. We're selling ads. Um, it kind of went without saying. Okay, well, how do we do this in a way where we don't have to hire eight? professional journalists and, you know, have to constantly manage this really big editorial calendar where every piece is, has to be touched and approved by us. So you tapped into the, the already pretty strongly existing capacity of indie hackers, founders, creators of wanting to share their story and wanting to share what they do. Anyhow, that's pretty smart. Exactly. At, this, at the same time, you're also tapping into a market that is very scrappy and very Extremely. unwilling to pay money for anything. So I yep. guess no balance there. Yeah. <laughs> how do you deal yeah, with yeah. this? Like, how do you deal with uh, this innate in, inability to pay for things that you could build yourself or that you could do mm, yourself in indie hackers and, and devs? Well, um, there's kind of two sides to that, which is that I think that on the one hand, if you are, say, I hear what you're saying, if you're a developer and you're trying to build developer tools, good luck on the, you know, on the bottom line, right? Unless you're trying to sell it to a a company and you, you know, you're trying to get like seats for the whole, you know, for all of the developers there, um, you know, these, these people are very frugal. Uh, and they can build it themselves. Everything looks like a ripoff to them. You want to you want to build for people who can't build, and then what you build seems like magic. Um, but with us, we're fortunate enough that that because we are a place where a lot of developers go, 
and specifically a lot of developers are trying to are going to build businesses there are people who sell to businesses who want to sell to us to gain access to our group right so if you um or to our community so if you have we, you know we have our our newsletter the newsletter is a business newsletter with at this point we've pruned it down to like 80,000 subscribers and like if you are uh if you sell a, a developer tool you probably have a lot of money and you're willing to spend that money um so on and so forth. And then, I mean, if you take the, uh, the, what I mentioned before the product directory, um, even if you're not, if we're not talking about selling to the people who own these products, who are developers and founders, if you're just talking about access, which we could shut off at any, at any point in time, right. As as soon as, as soon as we want to like sell out, right. Um, (laughs) you know, there are, there are, let's say well-known, uh, venture capitalists and investors who have well-known podcasts who are in our DMs and are like, shut this thing down and we'll pay you a lot of money. Like, <laughs> we, we, we have a lot of options because the business ecosystem writ large and the startup ecosystem writ large has a lot of different parties to mm-hmm. it, right? Yeah. yeah, and I think it's smart to go to where there's actually profit, <laughs> you know, not, not, yeah. no, nothing against indie hackers, but most are entrepreneurs. Most are starting out trying to make it happen. So going to the places that supply in, indiepreneurs, totally. right? That, that help them on their journey makes perfect sense. Same for me. That's kind of how I monetize my, my media empire as well. Mm-hmm. Right? I have the newsletter, I have the podcast and through like I almost, I'm also trying to build actual relationships with people, which is yeah. hard at scale, but yeah. people know this that. Advertisers, sponsors know this that I've I've long had a standing relationship with acquire.com for that mm. reason, right? They yeah. want access to the fine people that are listening to this because That's, they uh, know Gazdecki, right? Gazdecki, right? And, yeah, yeah. Uh, one one day these founders will want to sell their business. So, exactly. you know, that's, that's kind of a, a long play, which I quite enjoy as a, as a, as an advertising strategy is just to put you, yourself in there and having a conversion, maybe at some later point, but you're already right. there. Anyhow, I don't want to talk too much about the fine sponsor of this show. I quite, yeah. Anyhow, at the, I wanted to, to give you uh, to a, it's a very flattering thing to say about that sponsor, right? I mean, it's, it's like it's, this it's, person it's really an is. an actual relationship. Exactly. You know, you know what you were talking about, like being in DMs with people. That's yeah. exactly how that sponsorship happened. But it wasn't it. just, oh yeah, we're going to pay you money. No, no, mm-hmm. I, I was talking to Andrew. I had him on this show. I, I was like, if we're going to do this, I, I want to like what you do and I want to like totally. what you offer and I want to be aligned again, alignment, right? But let me just throw a compliment at you because you talked about your product pages and I have to, I have to tell you this because I, I might not have told you this in the past, but the reason that I sold my SaaS business and I'm now sitting in my studio doing whatever I want to do mm. is because we listed Feedback Panda on a product page with Stripe verified revenue and we were found by a private equity company there. And that's Amazing. where I started. That's Amazing. where our sales started where, in this feature that you still have and still don't mm-hmm. monetize. So mm-hmm. just just saying that is you're creating so much opportunity here for free. Which is Yeah, wonderful. I mean we have we, we, we the the amount of uh the amount of companies that scrape that thing. <laughs> yeah. we, we, we've you know, I get I get an I get I get DMs every like month or so who's like you know from someone that's like hey there there's this company over here that's like monetizing yeah. like a, a, their own database that just scrapes your database like do you want that to happen and we're like hey listen you know we could we could try to stop them but we we really like we have to turn off the faucet yeah and like it's just you know Merry Christmas every day to everyone who <laughs> for, for for the time being is is you know making a, a living off of that thing. 
But that's that's what I what I really enjoy because it shows you have like an abundance mindset that is still kind of constrained by you know the capitalist endeavor to monetize. But you you see it as more at least that's what I think. Correct mm-hmm. me if I'm wrong, but as an as an opportunity surface and larger, and not just a way to make like twenty bucks a month from somebody. Right. That's exactly that's exactly it. I'm gonna steal a quote from. Um Rupert Murdoch, I just, I just read a, a biography on him and he, he's got like, you know, the, sort of the, the family dynasty and they've been around for a long time and they, with the benefit of kind of keeping it in the family, one of the things that they can be assured about is that they don't have to go the way that a lot of corporations do from quarter to quarter trying to like reach for earnings and make short term bad decisions that just, you know, juice their numbers. And and the quote is, he's like, we're not in it for dollars. We're in it for decades. Mm. And I think that it's a, you know, it's a, it's a, it's a nice bumper sticker. Uh-huh. Um, and a lot of people would say it if they could, but they can't, but we can, right. We, we aren't, we aren't necessarily financially hurting. And so we get to say, okay, right. Let's just, take for granted that we're going to be around for the next five years. Let's take for granted that we're going to be around for the next 15 years. What are decisions that we want to make that will a sort of serve the community the the best? Again, I'm not saying that to, to kind of be a kiss up or whatever. It's literally, we're like, we don't have to make money. Like we do not have to make money from the community. Um, and anything that we do, if, even if I take the most selfish perspective on this, right. Um, I like to, say things I like, I like to think out loud in public through my writing about how things work and put them out into the, into the atmosphere. What better thing to, to own than a platform that's thriving that people have really good will f- toward, right? We can always put things on this media machine. And so for us, the thought of like, what is it? Killing the golden goose, right? Any version of killing the golden goose, it's like, Hey, listen, that's our, that's our like break glass in case of emergency thing that we can do unless we can figure out a way to have it be kind of win-win all around. But otherwise, yeah, I mean, it's, it's, we have the privilege of being able to be abundance mindset about it. Yeah. And, and, and I can feel this. I, I think that's, it's very notable both from your work, but also just from how the community approaches their work it's kind of this infinite game thinking right the idea that that's a game you can only win by keeping playing that game and that feels that this that you're of the same mind you had a wonderful thing you just recently said and uh, i kind of want to quote you on this because you said long-term optimism for difficult projects is made out of short-term pessimism that i found very interesting because it's also like a long-term vision you know that's that's bright and open and a very it's just calculated look at the present. Can you explain to me first of why you think so? And also where does it come from? What, what's the, the actual thing that triggered this for you? Well, I'm, I think what triggered it is first off reality. Mm. I mean, you look, if you do a project, it, many people that do projects that are of a sufficient amount of difficulty know uh, what's the, what's that? There's like some eponymous law that, you know, time expands to fill the time that you yeah, Parkinson's that you have law. To, yeah, there's yeah, there's Parkinson's yeah. law. Then there's uh, what's the one that's like if if something can go wrong, it will, right? Don't know I mean, that one. And these are, uh, I think it's Murphy's law. Um, <laughs> these are all ideas. Like if 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 you build things, 
you just realize what we said before, which is that you can design some outcome. You can you can lay out your mental yellow brick road in advance. Like shit's gonna hit the fan. Something unexpected is gonna happen. Sometimes it's a happy um, windfall. Sometimes good things happen. Um, but if you do it enough, you just realize like essentially if you if you internalize that right up front and you're like everything's gonna go wrong and then you operate accordingly, you often are going to front load whatever work you have. Um, and, and if you do that enough at the small scale, you're going to have compounding wins, like just a higher percentage of compounding wins, and you'll be able to be successful in the long term. And so, I mean, to be a little bit more concrete about this, look, every single day I have a plan. There's, there's seven things that I want to do, right? And those are kind of cross discipline, right? There's some stuff I want to do for indie hackers. Have a great conversation with Arvid today. Um, there, you know, there's stuff I, I want to work out. I want to work on my novel. I want to uh, have a good date with my girlfriend tonight. There's a lot of stuff. That's all with, with every new thing I add, there's complexity and there's a chance that things aren't going to go right. Um, and I've just learned that if I want to make those things happen, it's useful if I wake up and I'm like, everything is going to go wrong, right? I need to front load. I need to be really pessimistic about the day. And then the way that I, that I, that I kind of execute throughout the day, a little bit anxious, a little bit <laughs> pessimistic seeming to someone on the outside is going to, to mean that when something unexpected happens and a wrinkle gets thrown into my plan, yeah. I'm two hours ahead, right? Yeah. Or I've already knocked the thing out that was hard or I've already eaten the frog, so to speak. Mm-hmm. You know what? I'm, I'm trying to internally, because that's how my mind works, rephrase it into something positive. <laughs> I, mean, I'm, I, I wonder if you could just say, well, you're leaving room to be pleasantly surprised by almost everything. Sure. <laughs> it's kind of how that sounds like to me. I, I think a, a certain level of just realism that is like pessimism, you know, cautiously applied in terms of these things makes makes a lot of sense to me, particularly as we both are in creative roles, right? Like mm-hmm. entrepreneurship or media stuff, like all of that is essentially being a creator or creative. So there's the the, the wrenches and, and stuff, the sabots that get thrown into the gears, right? All yep. that stuff is, is present every single day. I kind of like that. I like that as a mindset because what it does in effect is to to prepare you for micro failures, right? It prepares yeah. you for the little little setbacks that you always get. And it's just, okay, yeah, sure. I thought that might happen and now it did. Let's do something else. I think Yeah, that's, no, that's exactly. And, and what I would say is we're talking about intentionality. Um, I'm happy to, to, to share some details, but I find that getting into some of the weeds of like how individual people operate um, often is, is harder to communicate verbally. But... I mean, I'm, I'm fairly like systematic about this. So for me, it's not just saying like, ah, you know, short-term pessimism. Uh, it's not like a sort of a, I say it in the morning and it's like kind of my little affirmation. And then I do, do, then I just go off into my day and forget it immediately. Like when I'm doing my plan at the beginning of the day, like I, I have a thing that's like account for this, like it will say it and I, and I need to like actually stop. It's like a speed bump. And a bit of a reality check. And I'm like, how am I going concretely? What am I, you know, how, what's the hardest thing or the most uncomfortable thing in this list of like seven tasks? Mm-hmm. And like sort of implementing that principle mm-hmm. is like, okay, well, I'm going to do this now. Well, I don't really want to, I don't really feel like it. Yeah, but I'm not going to feel like it at noon either. Mm-hmm. Right. And, and what I do is I try to do this in a, in a way that is, that scales up. So I will plan my day. The plan for my day is drawn from my plan for my week, 
My plan for my week is drawn from my plan for my month and my quarter. And then I don't go any higher than that because I just I can't see into the future. And for every layer of planning, of multi-scale planning, I do the exact same thing. I say, when everything goes exactly upside down from the way that I expect it to, you know, how am I going to have proceeded through this this week in a way where I still get to the end and I'm like, I want that week. Wow. Th- does that ever like exhaust you? Like it sounds like a lot of internal mini fear setting exercises that you do all the time. Like I, I would assume that there are people people who just couldn't handle this. So I wonder, totally. do, does it drain you? This is a, exam. This is a, exactly one of those things. Like I wouldn't give that advice to anyone. Yeah, I would just say, hey, look at my Lego tower. <laughs> like this is my Lego tower. Yeah. Um, and my Lego tower is like I said, it's kind of rigorous. Um, it's it's nowhere near the far end of the sliding scale of the amount of like, you know, go listen to a, my first million podcast episode with, uh, what's his name? Rob Deerdeck. I mean, this guy will plan his, he, he plans his bathroom breaks, right? It's that level of slicing and dicing and analyzing his day. And then you have people who are like caution to the wind. I mean, look, Cortland, my co-founder and my twin is the exact opposite. Right. He, he wakes up and he goes, what do I want to do today? I don't yeah. want to work today. Right. He does an, another day. He's like, I just want to, all I want to do is work and I don't want to go to bed. Right. Mm-hmm. For three days. I don't even want to eat. Right. And, and he just does it that way. And, and that's what works for him. And I think that there's a, you know, it's, it's, we're all kind of self expanders. We all, it, it, it's very com- comforting to feel like the things that are difficult for me are difficult for other people. The things that work for me work for other people. And when you see, like I've got a lot of computer monitors. If someone like me sees other people that have it, it feels really good. And we want to sort of expand that. But I think that when you see enough examples of successful people, one of the first things you'll learn is like, oh, there's no fucking playbook. There's just no playbook. There's an exception to every single rule just because everyone is different. Everyone comes in to something as, like I said, open-ended as entrepreneurship. Everyone comes in with their talents and their insecurities and it's just like a different deck of cards, right? Oh, for sure. I, I, and it would it would be sad if it wasn't the case. Right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> what, what world would we live in if if we didn't have that variety in the small, just as much as we have it in the the sizable? What I wonder, like, could you imagine working with Cortland if he wasn't your twin? <laughs> you know, if you hadn't built like mm. a lifetime of coping mm. mechanisms to deal with each other's <laughs> style. Well, you know what's funny is is we. I don't feel that we really got too much of the benefit of the lifestyle of, of the, the lifelong coping mechanisms because so for context, I mean, we, so we, we're, we're brothers, we grew up together and all we did was bicker and fight. We're, we're extre- like, you know, if competitiveness is a sliding scale, we're both falling off the edge. We're just extremely competitive people, probably because of us, we probably self-accelerated mm-hmm. towards the cliff. <laughs> um, and, uh, then we, we went to college and we separated. He went to a different state. I went to a different state. We didn't talk too much. Um, and it was actually this separation that enlightened us because now we're sort of operating in these different social environments, how similar we were in certain ways, right? How well we got along with, with, with different, um, sort of ways of communicating or collaborating or standards or whatever it is. Um, and then we kind of converged again. But then, you know, so we, we moved to San Francisco, I'll kind of go a breeze right through the story. But I mean, we, we lived together, I was doing something, he was doing something else, we still weren't all that close. 
it was specifically starting indie hackers where he's like, here's what I'm looking for. You got, you got what I'm looking for. Right. Um, and, and we started working in together where I think that the only thing we really knew was that I was not going to divorce him and he was not going to divorce me and that we both are, are willing to do what it takes to be successful. So like those two things, and we're, you know, we're, we're both like relatively smart. We, we, we both are technical. We both know enough about business. Like, there, you know, the, the soft stuff was there. But I think the hardest, the, 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 most, um, the, the most convincing and useful stuff wasn't necessarily that we knew how to communicate because we didn't. <laughs> like, we've, we've had wars and we've learned so much now. I think now we're great communicators. But that happened after we'd chosen to jump out of the plane together. You're making a pretty good case for going into business with family, something that <laughs> people most of the time, most of the time do not suggest. But mm-hmm. and it it sounds like you, yeah, I, I love this. You the, the the mutual non-divorce agreement that you have going on. Yep. In in many ways, yeah, you can't. <laughs> like there's no. this bond between you guys that just is irreparable, right? You can't take it out. It, very interesting, and and if the, if you don't have this kind of threat of being pulled away from each other, you kind of have to make it work. So what what I hear you say yeah, exactly. is that you develop your coping mechanism after the fact, like as adults yeah. in the context of your business. Now, there's a there, a thing you you touched on that is a very big topic and the space that I'm obsessed with complex systems, which is that very often when we think when we have a challenge and we want to address that challenge. Particularly in the West, we think about everything as like billiard balls. Like what, how will, will I knock into some other physical object to make it work? Um, and one of the things that you don't see are constraints. So in other words, like what are the possible options that are even available to me? And, um, in a sense, what we had wasn't you know, an ability to, to knock into each other, like, you know, me set him straight when he's sort of fucking up. Or if we're having an argument, we, we just know that we, we had the tactics or the tools. What we had was like straight jackets where we're like, well, you know, here, here it is. It's you and me. Like we've, we've got this, we've got this, you know, almost irresolvable conflict where I think we should go right with the company and you think we should go left. But I guess we're both sort of trapped in the car and then we eventually work it out and we learn things along the way. And it's, it's like, again, it's, it's a constraint where almost certainly, I mean, I can say this, I, I feel pretty confident about it, especially kind of early on. If we didn't have this constraint, things would have gotten kind of hard and it would have been really tasty to just be like, look, it's just, this doesn't work, right? You do this. You, you like doing it this way. I like doing it that way. Neither of us wants to give in. And it's maybe easier to just be like, you know, you take this part and I'll take that part and we just walk away. Um, but we just didn't have that option, and then we evolved, and then now we don't need the option. Right? Do do you still do you still have constraints though, <laughs> in, in in your current state of the business? I don't think that there is such a thing as not having constraints. I think that the like everyone has them, even if you don't see them. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, certain people—they're your friends. They are constraints that are invisible to you, so on and so forth. But um, I think that we we don't have the the same level of like intentionality. <laughs> about the constraints. I think that we, I think that we, um, just like when you try to create a new habit at first it's conscious and then increasingly it becomes this thing. That's a a matter of automaticity. I think that with us, we kind of, you know, if there's a, if there's a a trigger, 
of some kind of a problem, we both kind of know like what the protocol is. That's, that's an interesting one. The, the, to me, constraints come like, from my personal experience as a developer. It reminds me very much of design systems mm-hmm. right? that that are adaptive to the the view that you take on it. That's that's what a constraint defines, and the, the content of the thing you do forms itself into the constraints that you define. So I guess the the question would be, if you are not consciously aware of your constraints, how can you become more aware of them? What is what is your approach for that? Um, well, I think the 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 only real approach is to it, it's almost like I would take a step back and I would use like a meta constraint in that sense, or like, you know, have a meta design, which is that when you run into problems, I mean, I'll just, I mean, what I, what I literally do do is I have a way of thinking about the world that is based on, I think the best design thinking. So have you read, um, the design of everyday things Mm -hmm. by Don? So I, I, I'm, this guy is like one of my heroes. Um, he's in, by the way, he's like 90, he's like in his nineties and he's still writing op-eds and, and thinking about design. Um, but in any case, one of the big points of emphasis on his book, which was like, you know, smash hit. And by the way, was before it was called the design of everyday things about design. It was called the psychology of everyday things because he's, what he's talking about is he's, he's talking about designing human systems, um, for people to operate amongst themselves. And what I took away from him that I apply to situations like what you're referring to is trying to get outside of your own head with your solutions. And so with me, and I largely took this from him, I think about every problem that I want to solve as having what I call the five T's. And there's like, this is like sort of extra mental resources that I, that I tap into one of them is like, well, you know, what, what are, what are the uh, techniques that I might be able to like implement in this situation? Again, that's like a, a billiard ball knocking into another one. If that doesn't work, what are the tools? What are the tools outside of myself? Right. Uh, and a, 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 even a book might be a tool. So like if we're having a relationship issue, my, my brother and I, my girlfriend and I, a friend and myself, I have my, in my head ideas, but like, maybe I should like consult something outside of my head. Um, T, the other T is territory, like constraints, like what changes can I make to my surroundings, to my environment, Um, teams and teachers. So those three things, I mean, typically if I have a problem and I don't know how to, how to march around it, I'll just kind of go down, right? Again, techniques, tools, territorial constraints, teams and teachers. And there's usually, this is like a creative constraint in itself, right? To, to think like, what am I missing? What am I not picking up? That's, that sounds like you're you're just externalizing, or not just you are externalizing the the perspective from from which right. to then try to look back at what you're doing in in those many different ways through people, through ideas, through teachings, through tools. I like this. Uh, I'm a big fan of that because it, like zooming out, zooming back in, probably mm-hmm. the best thing you can do <laughs> in many right. ways. But you yeah, need yeah. the space, right? You need the space to 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 be comfortable zooming out. And it reminds me of something you yeah. said when we talked about maximalism. To me, that mm. is allowing space for 
multiple things and not just minimalism like a very uh, pointy perspective that is just in one particular kind of specific uh, space so i i really enjoyed when you shared like the that picture of your desk in front <laughs> of which you're sitting right now because it reminds me very much of what i'm sitting in front of like mm. you don't want to see the other side of this that's what right. i'm trying to say right and um, I in, I found myself in your description of this, like in in maximizing opportunity, maxima, maxim, maximizing. I guess that's the word. Maximizing just the uh, the potential of things instead of limiting yourself to certain things. That sounds like your five T's belong into that category. Exactly. As well. Yeah. Yeah. Well, the five T. You know, when, look, everyone has a different approach to life, and I think that your approach is like the input. And then all the only thing you can anyone else can really measure or even you can measure is like, what is your corn? What does that grow? What, do you, what is the yield of that thing? Um, and I think that that with me, uh, so I, I said this thing that I'm a maximalist and I'm kind of countering what I think is the, is the fad, is the culture now, which is being a minimalist. Um, but, you know, Psst, like secret i'm i'm neither what i am is i just look at again i'm i'm a lego brick builder right i just i take the lego <laughs> i plug it in and i see what works and um what i think i've seen specifically when it comes to this is when it when it comes to like you know how so in, in my case uh for anyone who hasn't seen and i don't recommend that you go and try to find it um but i have like three different screens Three to, I, have, I have two computers and a big display, and then I have often like a, an iPad. I have a lot of different screens that I, that I use at my normal desk that I sit at every day um, because this has worked for me. And so in that sense, I'm a maximalist. I also use a lot of different software. I'm a really big fan of Notion. Notion is a bit controversial because people who like simple things don't like Notion. It's got all these building blocks and it's got databases and it's got all these things that people can be overwhelmed by. And so in these senses... I'm a minimum, I'm a maximalist, but then there are other senses where I'm a total minimalist. I mean, I very rarely will post on social media. That's a deliberate decision. Um, I'm, I'm fairly disciplined and fairly strict. So, I mean, my, and this is true. My favorite app of all of the apps that are out there is one called freedom and freedom is just a website blocker and it's like uh, uh, operating system wide. And at like a regular schedule throughout the day, this thing is shutting off my access from the internet and I have no choice but to like get off my ass and go go to my gym and work out, go walk outside, right? Go talk to, talk, go talk to a person, go touch grass or whatever it is. Um, and so if, if, if you know, it, it would be hard for someone to come in and like archetype me, right? To reduce me to a, to a thing. And, and it's like, well, what's the, what's the decision rule that I go by? And the, the answer is I just, I try it. If it works, it works. If I try something, if I add a new screen and then I get overwhelmed, I take the, the screen away. If I try like kind of going with something that's kind of simple and I, I feel bored or I feel un, understimulated, I try adding something else. And I think that what you, what you end up with, if you are authentic, that word that Corey Zhu is, is I think rightly touches on is every single person will look different than every other person, right? And that's like, you know, what works for you. Yeah. It sounds like you're really just setting your own constraints. Like you you take them, you set them, and you change them over time as well. Yeah. Like the social media thing in, is, is a great example of this. Like you're active, you're inactive, depending on what you want to do and what do you want to use it for. 
And that brings me to the thing that I've been wanting to ask you for days at this point, because there was a thing that you used to do for a long time that has stopped in June, and that's the podcast, right? It's the Indie mm. Anchors podcast, which uh, to, to me, like, I, I looked at the, the last couple episodes that I listened to, and I thought, oh yeah, they had Seth Godin on. Who else are they going to get? That, that. <laughs> that's how that felt to me. Like, you yeah. got the best one, so, you know, <laughs> that's over. But I, I would be interested in uh, what caused you to, to kind of, first off, not continue the podcast until today, or like at least as we record this, that has been a new episode for a couple months and if there maybe is a constraint that changed for you or a, a priority or a perspective yeah uh, i think the the all of everything stayed the same and then this was sort of a natural outcropping of following these rules just like creating a community-powered media company was was the outcropping of the rule of constraining things to crowdsourcing and then now we have a new you know one tweak we have a new business objective and so that's you know sort of the emergent uh feature that we that we build um look we have a constraint that again we're trying to do this for decades like we want this community to be here for decades and so if there is any element of just the what our daily lives look like that creates what the rationalist community is called UG fields. You ever heard of it, this before? Mm -hmm. An UG field where you step into it and you're just like, ah, right? If you soldier through that thing on a regular basis, anything like that, it could be you don't like answering emails. It could be you don't like, you know, it doesn't fill in the blank. Um, and there's no reason why it's going to, you know, your, that feeling is going to, to get reduced over time. Then it's just you're just, setting a recipe for not liking your job or resenting what you do. Um, and so I, I maybe oversold that because the podcast wasn't that for us. It wasn't, ugh. it was just, it's a lot of work. We are, like I said, we're very ambitious. And I think the easiest way to put this is that everything that we touch, we want to make it increasingly higher quality. No matter what, we don't like stasis. We don't like, you know, kind of keeping on the same path. And that was the case with the podcast. And when we became a business, we decided early on, like, hey, we don't want to sell ads on this podcast for, for, for reasons that may be worth getting into. But we're like, we, we'll sell ads uh, against the newsletter. We might do, um, might do website ads. But number one, even long term, we don't want this to be an ad sponsored. Uh, like an, an ad funded company. Mm -hmm. um, even the newsletter right now, it, like we see it as we're doing ads. Um, we'd like to transition over time to having high enough quality content that we have subscribers. Um, then we have a little bit more creative control um, and, and other benefits that come with not basically ad sponsorship. And we didn't want to do that for the, for the podcast. And so therefore a huge amount of the growth to say the media company what like we're pouring resources into this podcast because we really care about it. I mean, every podcast was more than a day uh, of our seven day week, a lot of energy. If we have any kind of creative differences, that's even more energy. We bring on Seth Godin. We got to go bigger, right? Because we don't have, we're, we're, we're just not chill. We're not chill about that kind of stuff. Um, and so we just, we, we had a decision to make, like, can we, like we have to look at, we looked at, at the, the mirror, which is really just to say we looked at ourselves as twins. And we, ah. we asked ourselves like, 
can we put this damn podcast completely on autopilot effort-wise? And we're like, no. The answer is no. And, and, we're, and, and so we didn't stop it in like an official, it's officially dead kind of a way. We're just like, it doesn't make sense now. It doesn't feel good to pour resources into it when we don't think it's justified from a business perspective. And life has been absolutely amazing. The The site is growing. The newsletter is growing. I mean, all the things that we care about are growing. But the downside is people that enjoy the podcast, which is humbling. I mean, it's like there's a huge reaction. There are a lot of people who really like that podcast. But it's like, you know, like we got yeah. bills to pay. We got contractors to pay. Yeah, um, again, and it just doesn't make right? sense. Yeah. yeah, you 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 described this pretty well. Like you talked about like lifestyle creep and how you don't have that, but you have productivity creep. Yeah, that that feels like exactly. that is part of productivity creep, right? Absolutely. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You can't just overextend yourself in, into these things, but if, if they have other things that that you need to do, and I think that's that is the lesson for indie hackers. That I I, I think even though it is. I guess for many people regrettable because it's a routine for them to listen to the podcast, which is yeah. why podcasts are so popular, right? There's this constant retention because mm -hmm. the consistency is there. But hey, if, if, if the absence of the podcast means that you guys get to be a glowing example for how indie hackers are allowed to pivot within their business, then all for the better, right? I, I feel that's that's absolutely worth it. Yeah. Well, and then, you know, so much for the, so much for the chanting as a, maximalist thing right this is another example of minimalism <laughs> but like again it's not this and and you know so this is this is, a, is it, you're exactly right one of the huge benefits of being an indie hacker is you get to make decisions that, that are right for you um but like it, even on top of that part of the part of the decision is like we want to do things that that feel good because we run the business the business doesn't run us um but it's also like we also are, are responding. I mean, it's it's a it's a business, so you know we have people that work for the business and that 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 care if it does well. We have a we have a strategy. So I I posted a we have a flywheel right for for the for the for the media company. We've got a few other uh, revenue streams as well, and like those have their own sort of self contained strategy. There's a sort of a, an overarching strategy. There's a, a, a dynamic element where like we see where this is going and we kind of want to constrain things to move them in that direction. So there's a lot of this stuff. And like when pieces don't fit the, I think that just being a good business owner, this isn't any hacker specific. This isn't even startup specific is saying, what does the business need? Yeah. And then doing that thing, even when it doesn't feel good. I mean, let's be really clear. The podcast from a business perspective didn't make sense for a couple of months mm -hmm. before Seth Godin, believe it or not. Um, maybe he's the one that got us going, putting, get, getting him on the calendar, extended the life of that podcast mm -hmm. a little bit longer than it should have been extended. But um, you just like, I think that being a good founder is saying, well, I really love coding, but right now coding isn't needed. So I'm going to take a left and I'm going to go talk to people or it's all you want to do is talk to people, but it's like, Hey, this, you know, the, the faucet is linking, leaking. You got to go screw in, you know, you got, you got to fix the components of the, of the actual business. You got to like do what is required. And I think that that's ultimately like the thing that that's the North star that led to us temporarily for the time being not having a podcast that's active. Yeah, do do the things you need to do. So so what do you what does the business require? What does indiehackers.com need in the next couple months or years? 
Need is a is a strong word. Um, indie hackers is going to be fine. How how would we like to have it grow, and and what are what are some of the challenges? Um, look, we're a media we're a media company, and it's funny. I mean, this is a this is a a, a moment in history, and the history of like you know the the modern internet where like there's kind of a media bloodbath, right? People don't trust media. Um, a lot of companies that that have gotten that had a lot of funding are going under. It's not easy to run a media company, um, and so I mean, for us, that's it's relatively simple. I mean, we we have community contributors, people like you. You've contributed. Um, we it's one of the things that you mentioned is true, which is that the people who read, say, the Indie Hackers newsletter, the people who come and they try to learn from the Indie Hackers homepage, um, are all highly intelligent, highly self-motivated people who are building things. And the people who want to contribute also happen to be people who like have a, have a, have a good, good advice, right? Um, Corey Zhu, what he was talking about, which is that in a sense, Twitter seems to be devolving into a cesspool of people who are sort of just professionally just trying to get content out there. Indie hackers is, is, you know, our community is filled with people who have like real things to say because they have scar tissue and they can talk about it. Um, so getting the word out that we are a platform that will give those people the kind of win-win like eyeballs and, and, and people who are following them and learning from them. And for us, obviously that's more content, right? That's, that's us being able to v- provide that value to the whole community. Um, that's a piece, that's a piece of the puzzle. We have a lot of technical things to do on the site that are a little bit more boring. Um, we, we have advertisers, um, many, many of who, for, for, you know, for the newsletter and, and other situations to, to build it. I mean, it's all, it's all just, I mean, it's just like building software. I mean, I could just name the very specific things that we need to do that, that are highly well-defined and it's just about like stacking bricks. Yeah, Lego bricks, right? Mm-hmm. Always, always more Lego. Well, exactly. thank you for sharing this, and thank you for also sharing many of these things in public. I think you do a lot on Twitter now, which is really cool mm-hmm. for somebody who doesn't use Twitter. You're using Twitter pretty well, you know, <laughs> in, in you. sharing the flywheel, for example, to to just get the insight as as a founder, as a media business person myself. Let me just selfishly say this in, into your thinking and your planning, which yeah. compared to mine, I'm kind of more like Cortland in that way. I wake up and whatever, <laughs> right? So yeah. it's nice to see somebody who actually has thought about stuff and crystallized it into a shape to then share it. I really appreciate that. And what I feel in what you just said about the future of indie hackers is that you're striving to, to go for alignment over everything else. Right. You're not looking for the shortcuts. You're not looking for the, the massive scam based sponsor revenue kind of thing. That's, that's not where you're at. You're, you want to build the place where people can trust other people. Yeah. Really appreciate that. Yeah. Yeah. No, thank you. When I, when I think about, I mean, this is again going back to Corey Zoo, but I, I've thought a lot about this and I, I've had conversations with, with a lot of people that are kind of like private rant conversations, right? About, um, I mean, it's kind of no secret that it's 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 sort of easy these days, for example, on Twitter to have a bit of a formula to the way that you craft a tweet, right? We have this 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 term of thread boys, right? Like there's there seems to be um, a sort of a path that you can take, and uh, a way that it, this it sort of just hit me. I think I was taking a shower and I was like looking at the water going down a drain, um, and I I thought to myself that almost the almost like the shape of a lot of people who are only, say, on Twitter to gain more Twitter followers, 
to get more engagements on Twitter, <laughs> they start to sound a lot like each other <laughs> and they don't produce new things or new styles. Yeah. And it almost like the collective shape of their content on the internet is like a drain. It's like a whirlpool and it goes <laughs> into itself. And it's, and what I, what I think you want is you want the opposite shape. You yeah. want people to go out into the world away from this body of water and learn things, get scar tissue and then come back and then drop that wisdom into the pool. And then it will be a ripple that goes outward, right? It'll be new to everyone. And then it will sort of, it, it, what we say about indie hackers being dead, right? Indie hackers, if it goes sufficiently mainstream, it's no longer this isolated, unique thing. It kind of just dissipates and becomes part of the, the texture of things. In a sense, I love the idea of Twitter and posting there. But if I write stuff, I like I feel this urge to try to make it ripple content mm -hmm. as opposed to whirlpool content. I love that. And I'm glad you you took the whirlpool like the shower drain and not the toilet drain I think for for this this particular visual it is very appealing yeah. but in in many ways it immediately brings to mind and yeah that the water that goes down that drain is dirty right, right. but like a spring is is fresh and clean mm -hmm. and cold and and interesting so i like that visual really appreciate it and i do like what you do on twitter you you just authentically yourself and you're not like leaning into these games um, quite like this so if anybody were to want to follow you on Twitter even <laughs> though you probably won't follow them back but you know, like, <laughs> maybe we'll, we'll see <laughs> I, so, by, so by the way by the way uh, I, I have a I got a I got a it wasn't a nasty DM um, but it was like a kind of a hurt DM from someone who's you know whose star power is much bigger than mine and they're like mm -hmm. hey I follow you what the fuck um, you know this seems kind of arrogant um, and I'm like, no, 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 you're on, you're on my list. So I have Twitter lists of people <laughs> yeah. that I follow oh, and I almost, I almost like want to like publish this list and be like, Hey, look, I'm following tons of people. But again, it's, it's for me, it's a, it's a 100% goes back to intentionality. Yeah. Like I don't want to open Twitter and then for Twitter to tell me who I need to like see, yeah, that's, uh, that's right. I'm, I'm very easily distracted and it's hard for me <laughs> to like, uh, to, to choose not to see it. So I like to had those situations where I'm like, okay, I'm now going to look at the list. Now I'm going to, and you're on that list. I should, I should say, I feel obligated <laughs> so, to say sorry, it's I really didn't, I didn't mean to put you on the spot with this. Of course, of course you have a list. Like otherwise, how would you interact with people on Twitter? Mm -hmm, right. Mm -hmm. but, and, and that's, that's the thing. That's one of the big problems that Twitter has just in the UI. Even if they yeah. could show, how many people you follow through lists, then you would, you would see probably thousands of people in your account and yep. Peter levels too, right? He follows a couple and he used to follow zero, same mm -hmm. deal. Like he was still mm -hmm. interacting with the community. Totally. So um, they, you might not follow them, but even better on a list, at least you're going to be read. So, right. If, right. If, that's, yeah, it makes, yeah. makes a difference. So if people want to get onto those lists, <laughs> where should they go? <laughs> Uh, just at Channing Allen. So C-H-A-N-N-I-N-G-A-L-L-E-N. Um, Sounds about right. And I'll, I'll try to be a little bit more active. Like I said, my, my job dictates it, but also the freedoms of my job dictate that I get to, I get to lean a lot more into Ripple content than yeah. into um, to toilet flush content, we'll now call it. <laughs> um, and, and I'll say one extra thing about it. And, and this is a, a thing I... I also, I mentioned this to a friend who saw the way that I was doing Twitter and specifically was like, oh, that's, they mentioned like the authenticity and like the bravery. And I, I feel like this is more apt to people who are entrepreneurs and indie hackers than anyone, which is you have to keep in mind that you can either stand out 
or you can fit in. And all of us want to do both of those things. And, you know, with me, I, I, I don't, I, I'm not going to, I don't go onto my onto my uh, page and do like clickbait stuff. I don't say contrarian things to get attention, but I do a lot of things that are highly unique to me. And with those things, like I am super trigger happy, and like there, I do things that are, if I do something that's that is that is me and I feel secure about, and it's like weird, for example, like I I the, the you know the bullet's going to be out of the barrel immediately. Sorry to use a gun analogy, but I mean it's like that's gold, right? Like that's me. That's that's a way that I can sort of be me on blast. Um, and I think that um, I I know through direct experience, like I've helped people write copy for a tweet and I've seen them write copy for like headlines on, on blog posts and stuff. And people will often significantly neuter and make things safe because they're kind of afraid. And it's like, dude, no, like if, if there's, if there's an interesting, unique thing, that's a little bit edgy, like, you know, your post is going into a feed filled yeah. with other interesting things. Like that's right. don't be afraid to stand out. Yeah. That's that, that is definitely worthwhile ad advice <laughs> let's just say that coming from a from a person who has and then that's the thing i really enjoy about you and your your presence not just on twitter generally is that you're very reflected and you've found ways that work for you i think a lot of people have not come to this point yet and they choose like the safe path but mm. in choosing the safe path they choose no path at all because exactly they just yeah. don't show up right so i'm i'm really i, I feel very grateful to to be part of your universe right to see the things that you share to be part of the conversations that you participate in and i'm extremely grateful that you were here on the show today and shared all of these wonderful things with me that was awesome I, I really really appreciate it i think I, i said it before we uh started recording i think but it feels really good to be on this side right i don't have to worry <laughs> about like the editing and i don't really like you know no. i don't have bad hair days because i don't have hair but i don't have to worry about it almost anything so <laughs> i just get to show up and give opinions And I would not trade the extra effort of having to do a little editing for getting this <laughs> wonderful conversation with you today. Thank you so much Amazing. for being on the show. Yeah, yeah, thank you. And that's it for today. I will now briefly thank my sponsor, Acquire.com. Imagine this. You're a founder who's built a solid indie hacker SaaS product. You acquired customers and everything is generating really consistent monthly recurring revenue. That's the indie hacker dream, right? The problem is... You're not growing anymore for whatever reason. Maybe it's a lack of focus, lack of skill, lack of insight into the market really, or lack of interest. Maybe you don't care anymore. You feel stuck in your business and with your business. The story that everybody wants to hear, what you do now at this point is that you buckle down, you reignite the fire, you start doing marketing and sales and outreach and working on the business, not just working in the business. And six months down the road, you made all the money. You tripled your revenue and you have this hyper successful indie SaaS business. Reality, unfortunately, is not as simple as this. And your situation, the situation you might be in right now, is looking different depending on who you ask and who you look at. But too many times, the story here ends up being one of inaction and stagnation until the business itself becomes less and less valuable over time or worse, completely worthless. So if you find yourself here already, 
or you think that your personal story is likely headed down a similar road, I would consider a third option, and that's selling your business on acquire.com. Because capitalizing on the value of your time today is a very smart move if you're a founder with limited time. Acquire.com is free to list. They've helped hundreds of founders already. So go to try.acquire.com slash Arvid and see for yourself if this is the right option for you. Thank you so much for listening to The Bootser Founder today. You can find me on Twitter at Avid Kahl, A-R-V-I-D-K-A-H-L, and you'll find my books on my Twitter course there too. If you want to support me and the show, and I would really appreciate that, please subscribe to my YouTube channel, get this podcast in your podcast player of choice, and leave a rating and a review by going to ratethispodcast.com slash founder. It really makes a massive difference if you show up there, because then the podcast will show up in other people's feeds. And that matters if we want to teach each other how to be better indie hackers. Any of this will help the show. Thank you so much for listening. Have a wonderful day and bye-bye.